There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. 30 years ago today, the iconic science fiction TV series The X-Files premiered on Fox on September 10th, 1993. I spoke to both Mulder and Scully on separate occasions, first with Gillian Anderson, who joined me in 2016 to discuss her human trafficking film Sold, as well as the latest reboot of The X-Files. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on WTOP and watch DC. How are you? No problem. I am good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. WTOP listeners uh, know Ms. Anderson from you know the X Files, and she's getting ready to do Streetcar in New York coming up. But um, you know, maybe we can get into that later towards the end if we have time. But you know, the reason we're here to talk is about the new movie Sold. Um, a powerful, powerful topic about um, child trafficking. Um, Julian, how did you? Uh, you guys filmed this what, like in in 2014 or something? How did you get involved with it initially? Well, yes, we, we shot it a couple years ago. Um, a couple years before that, I got a, a call from my good friend Jeffrey Brown, who is the director, who asked whether I would get involved with the movement behind the film. At the time, there wasn't really a character in it for me. By the time they ended up filming, they had um, created a character based on a real-life humanitarian photographer called Lisa Christine. Um, that's a, a, a small aspect of a much bigger um campaign that's going on right now. The, the, the campaign behind the film is actually bigger than all of it. And the campaign essentially to end child trafficking, to spread awareness globally about the industry of it that is out there. It's a $150 billion industry, um, the, the human slavery industry. And um, and this film is is basically uh, a starting point, a talking point that can be screened in um, in theaters around the states. If you're interested, you can um, go onto the website um, soldthemovie.com, and uh, they will screen it in your hometown. You can see the film. You can start the conversation. You can have it screened in schools. There's a school version of it, and um, basically start the conversation locally so that we can get to. Um, the bottom of this uh, atrocity that is going on in front of all of our noses around the world, it's in Washington, D.C. Child sex trafficking is in every city, in every country, in, in, on every continent, and, um, and it needs to be at the forefront of our conversations. Yeah, talk about, you know, what you just mentioned. Talk about how it's not, you know, some problem from some faraway place like it is in the movie i mean as horrific as that is too but talk about how you know it, like how big a problem it is here in america too yeah well it's so easy for us to to dismiss 
topics when they feel like they're they're seas away from us, um, uh, which is an, enough of a, a motivation to get people uh, galvanized, hopefully anyway. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are children who are being um, trafficked for sex, uh, boys and girls, uh, from you know as as young as three, four, or five years old up to you know. 16, 17, 18 years old, uh, in in every city in America, we've got stories and survivors from um, from girls in Washington D.C., in Atlantic City, in New York City, in uh, Iowa, um, and it is something that is going on. It is the third fastest growing black market industry in the world. Man, they estimate that 1.8 million children a year are uh, sold for sex trafficking, and um, there have been organizations that have been around for a long time, and they are building up steam. This movie is there to um, to help spread awareness about this conversation and to start, um, you know, developing a movement behind it so that laws can be changed, so that governments can start taking it seriously, so that um, industry is not bolstered by by uh, by this atrocity. Yeah, it's ima- I mean, seriously, imagine if it's, you know, imagine if that was your daughter. I mean, I think that's the, the easiest way in for, for most people. And it, once you think of it that way, or even if you don't have kids, I mean, it's just the age of these kids. It's just, it's heartbreaking, really. Yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking. Um, so, and obviously, so I'm, I'm pretty sure, I know the movie, you, I think it, it, it it's playing in, in New York and some other places early April, but I believe it comes to D.C., um, I think April 22nd. I'll double check on that, but okay, I'm pretty sure. Okay, fantastic. Yep, able to, that's brilliant. And there's also, if you go to soldthemovie.com, you can actually ask for the movie to be screened in your hometown mm-hmm. if you find that the movie is not going to be um, shown anywhere near you. You can actually um, ask for it to be screened, and if you get 65 people together or more, um, they will screen it for you. Uh, they will hold the space so you can have a conversation or a, um, a meeting about it and about um, how uh, each person can be active in, uh, in growing the conversation in their community. And um, it's a very, uh, if, if you go to that website, there are, are lots of um, ways that people can be active in spreading the words and getting governments to put this at the forefront of their policies. Absolutely. And I, I, what I always love is when I see, you know, sort of the follow through to stuff like this. I mean, we, I think we talked to Freda Pinto, who they did the Girl Rising campaign a couple months ago, and it was very similar. But, um, you know, talk about why it's important that, you know, you can sort of you, how this this quote unquote fictional movie sort of is a, a, a way to a window in for average people to kind of get the idea initially and then to do the follow through. Well, I mean, art is a very, very powerful and effective um, tool. And by, uh, you know, get, getting to observe the experiences of one girl, uh, she becomes the voice of the millions who don't have a voice and who don't, and the millions who don't have a choice in their lives. And um, that's one of the, the most beautiful things about the, the, the work that I get to do to be able to be a part of um, something that is, is, can be both, both beautiful and aesthetically beautiful, but also can elicit change. Um, when people are moved by film or moved by art, they are often moved into action. And it's very difficult to see this film without uh, asking the question at the end, what can I do? 
Absolutely, and it's got to be—it's got to be one of the more rewarding parts of what you do. I mean, obviously, you're—you know—award-winning, <laughs> famous actors in your own right. But um, it's—you know—you probably can do some of those more famous roles, and then that allows you to then do something like this. So, I mean, how, how do you juggle it all? How do you, do you do sort of one for one for the art, one for the cause, one for the entertainment? <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, no, it's, I'm not that, quite that altruistic. No, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it is, yeah, it is a juggle. But when there's something like this, I mean, even when I'm initially asked to be the the voice of a campaign in some way, my first instinct is, no, it's not, I'm not that person. I can't, I can't do that. It's too much. It's too intense. We were at the UN today in a panel talking about trafficking and the impact of arts on trafficking. And, you know, my first response wants to be, no, (laughs) it's too scary. But the fact is, this is so important and we have to remember all those, those innocent voices, innocent faces uh, but behind this atrocity, that just they, they they have no choice in their lives, and they are they are dying on a daily basis with the abuse and the beating and the and the, the systematic rape, and it's a, it's a really ugly ugly issue. But it is there, and it's happening, and it's the truth, and we need to start talking about it. Gotcha. And so when you're at the UN today, is that um, so? Are you sort of based at least temporarily out of New York? Because uh, tell us, you have streetcar coming up, right? I do. Uh, I'm not starting that yet. I'm here just for this right now, and gotcha. then I go away for a couple of weeks, and then I come back and start rehearsals for a streetcar. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, how'd that role come about? Uh, streetcar, well, streetcar is um, Blanche Dubois has been a character I've wanted to play for pretty much 30 years, and <laughs> I live in London, and I have been working for a long time to try and get together a production of it. Um, I helped uh, put together this production in London at the Young Vic with um, my first choice of director, Benedict Andrews, and uh, Ben Foster, amazing actor from the States, came over and uh, played Stanley with us, and other um, Vanessa Kirby and Corey Johnson are in the play, and we got uh, we were very well received, won awards, blah blah blah, and now we're bringing it to um, to New York for a short run at St. Anne's Warehouse. Awesome. Well, speaking of the kindness of strangers, do you have people coming, a new generation coming up to you as, <laughs> as uh, Scully? Is there sort of a new crop of fans that, that maybe missed there it the sure first time? Is. It's so It's uncanny, actually. I, I don't know if I really would have anticipated it. Just, yeah, yeah, just who are, discover, I was at uh, Legoland with my kids a couple weekends ago, and um, a father um, came up to me with his 14-year-old son and just you know, said I want to introduce my son to you. He's a big fan of the show, and and I found myself saying, you know, um, so when did you discover it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, right. He said he discovered it like a year ago, and he's watched all the episodes and stuff. But it's almost like this rite of passage that's taking place, and and the the range of of um, of viewers and interest and and, and um, of just from literally really young kids all of a sudden not not just discovering it through the new season but going back and and you know and watching the old ones which to me look you know like they're so old and dated <laughs> that they're getting really um you know addicted it's crazy that's awesome. Have you, have you and your has the the Mulder to your Scully? Have you you and David? Have you looked back on it after this sort of this six episodes run, run and been like, I'm glad I'm glad we re- revived that. 
Uh, yeah, no, I think we were glad about it from the beginning. From from the moment that we decided that it was something that we were going to do, it was um, it was fun for us, um, and we knew that we were making the right decision. And it just became about how to best give the fans what it is they've been telling us they wanted this whole time. And I think that that uh, that Chris and the writers, you know, pretty much did that in the nature of the episodes that they put together. So, uh, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, and there's at least judging from, I mean, from the the new pilot on, you guys have, uh, you know, it's this new internet post 9-11 NSA, it's like ripe yeah. for these conspiracies. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good time for the X-Files plot scrubs. The, the truth has never been more out there, that's awesome. Yes. Do you pinch yourself and think, man, I mean, you, you guys are one of the great buddy teams in TV slash movie history now, and it's got to be wild to even think you're part of that. Uh, it is wild to think of. I mean, for a long time, I think we just, you know, we thought um, fondly back on our time working on the show together and the fact that it's been yanked back into the current conversation and that we still get to be those buddies. You know, it's, it's one thing to go, oh, wasn't that, well, weren't we lucky? But then to, to get to jump back into those shoes again um, and, and, and play on what makes their dynamic so appealing is quite fun. Yeah, it's not just nostalgic; it's alive and happening. Yeah, Are you guys? Exactly. Is there going to be uh, any more word on a on a you know that a, a re? I don't know yet. They're still talking about. I'm sure you're like, stop asking me. Everyone's asking no, me. That. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no. It's, I'm I'm used to that. I mean, that <laughs> it's usually when is the next X Files film going to come? Right. Now it's just when is the next series of episodes going to come? And I still, like always, I'm the last to find out. Man. Well, are you hopeful there will be another one? I don't know yet. On many levels, I think so. But, you know, <laughs> I've got three kids. I live in London. I've got uh, I've got a lot of other commitments. And um, I want to, for the sake of the fandom out there, and on the other hand, um my old butt just wants to take it easy. <laughs> okay, well, that's definitely understandable. Well, the good thing is with whether it's X-Files or Streetcar or whatever else, you've all the other great things you've done, It's the, it, you can lend it to a, a great cause like this. Um, the movie is is sold. Um, I believe it comes down here in D.C. on April 22nd. Um, thanks so much for lending your, your voice um, and your you know your fame and, and influence and everything to, to such a great cause. Thank it's you really, so much for talking about it. I really appreciate the air time yeah it, it's a heartbreaking topic so thank you so much julian anderson on wtop thank you so much thank you i'm bradley trainer and i'm don mcclain we have a podcast called blinded by the item a blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out it's a guessing game and you can play along the item might be like this a-list star carries a birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Welcome back to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley celebrating 30 years of the X-Files. I spoke with star David Duchovny in 2016 when he played a detective hunting Charles Manson in the NBC series Aquarius. Apologies for his crackling phone line, but I figure a crackling Duchovny is better than no Duchovny. I'm here with the one and only David Duchovny, star of the crime drama Aquarius, which returns uh, for season two tonight on NBC with a special two-hour premiere. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us. 
Thanks for having me. Uh, now, uh, this this new season uh, involves a, a sort of a creepy new case. Uh, you start receiving some photos of, of missing girls. Uh, explain sort of uh, what this season, this premise is. Well, that's uh, the character that I play, Sam Hodiak. Um, you know, he's he's going through his own crises in his life, and one of them is uh, at work. He's being sent these pictures of women bound up and tortured and and I'm supposed to figure out what's going on and who these women are and who's doing it to them. Now all this is happening with the backdrop of the Manson stuff really picking up. Now, um, there was no way for a cop at that time to to know that Manson was going to become Manson. You know, he was just, at that time, he was really just a two-bit con man, pimp, cult leader. So, you know, it doesn't really make sense for my character to be investigating Manson because you wouldn't be. Right. These murders came out out of the blue in many ways. So, what what our show is really about is two parallel worlds: one where you know the '60s are happening, and I'm playing this very straight-laced kind of Joe Friday cop dealing with the revolution of the '60s, and on the other hand, you've got Manson heading towards his horrible destiny, and the '60s really coming to an end with with those murders. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fascinating idea for a show. I mean, I, I remember you know when Mad Men was going on, so many bloggers wanted the show to go there, and there were so many hints to it. But uh, you guys are actually you right. know you're going there, um, so that's what makes it right. uh, that's what makes it compelling. So I believe I believe season one yeah. opened in 1967, Los Angeles, right? And you're you're slowly building yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, you're slowly building up to the murder. Well, this year this year the the murders happened. Oh, you know, we we sped up. we sped up. So in fact, the beginning of this year. You're going to see clips, little little images of that fateful night, and um, you know it's going to be a jumping back, backwards and forwards. But it's safe to say the season begins and ends on that night. Right. That night. So where are and you and you have um, Gethin Anthony from Game of Thrones is Charles Manson. Yeah. Um, what uh, yeah. where are we with the with the Manson family currently in the show? Is it are they they're hooking up with with Dennis Wilson? He's still trying to make it as a musician, yeah. or exactly. Uh, you know, um, some people know probably most people don't know that that Manson was trying to make it as a musician uh, at that time, and he did have some pretty good contacts and and uh, Terry Melcher, who's a a uh, strong producer, and Dennis Wilson, of course, is with the Beach Boys. So this year is really about Manson getting close to that dream that he had, and then what happens when that slips away. We all know what happened. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What about, well, we spoke a lot about um, you know the Manson family, sort of the antagonists of the show, but to, in case our listeners, may, maybe they miss season one and they want to try to get caught up for season two, tell us about um, you know the, the hero here, D- Detective Sam Hodiak. Um, what, what about him is, makes him a juicy role for you to play? Yeah. Well, the reason my character gets drawn into Manson's orbit at all is because uh, the love of my life, uh, a woman that got away from me and married another man and had a child with him, her teenage daughter has kind of run away, and she comes to me to find her, and I I track her down to this cult commune in the desert, which is being run by this dude named Charlie Manson, which doesn't ring any bells at the time. What I love about... uh, the character is that he's he's really like a you know you think 60s and you think you know free love and and the music and the hippie revolution and all that but actually my guy is uh, he's a man of the 20s and 30s living through the 60s so you kind of you kind of see this this crazy uh, time in american history through the eyes of a guy that fought in world war ii and is is a cop and you know he's a he's he's a difficult cop he's a cop that 
bends the system. He's a cop that does what he needs to do to dispense justice, but he, he thinks he dispenses justice, whether or not he can do that within the system. So he's a flawed, flawed hero, which I enjoy. Well, fl- flawed heroes are always more uh, fun for us to watch anyway. No one wants a perfect character, yeah. right? Um, all right. Well, no, no. Yeah, I know, I know we're up against the clock, so uh, before we go, i got to ask, uh, we spoke with Gillian Anderson a few weeks ago, and she at that point, they still didn't know if there was going to be another X-Files. Any, any more word on that front? Well, uh, there's no, nothing specific, I would tell you if there was, but, but there, you know, everybody involved is, is interested in doing some more, so, you know, Fox, uh, Chris, uh, Gillian, and me, so um, I, I would think, I would bet on it happening. Um, I just don't know when, and I just don't know where, and I just don't know how. Yeah, well, whether or not it comes back more generally, you know, what's it just? What's it like knowing you're going to go down with her as one of the great buddy teams in history? Mulder and Scully, go, we're going to be right up there with all the buddy teams ever. It's nice. You know, it's nice to have uh, uh, created a, 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 be part of a duo like that, I guess. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's always been an interesting relationship to me with they had kind of completing one another. Yeah, now you're doing a different kind of investigation in Aquarius. So uh, if, yes. if our listeners haven't haven't checked it out yet, uh, check it out. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Our theme music is Scott Buckley's Clarion. Remember to give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.